Thanks for listening to this podcast from Christ Church of Orinoco. Our hope is that it would help you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. Well, good morning, Christ Church. Welcome to 2021. Happy New Year. <laughs> yes. And we're excited. We got a lot of good things coming up this year. In fact, one of the things that we're going to be doing starting next week is looking at the book and the life of Jonah and our Sunday morning services. I'm excited for that. Um, I got to teach on that a little bit, even for our classes that we are able to stream online. So if, you, if you're wanting to grow more in your Bible, uh, look at what God's word says. That's a great resource that we have available for you. But we're looking forward to it. As for today, what I want to do is look at the book of 1 Peter, which... You may or may not remember, we actually studied through this book in April and May. Do you even remember that? It was so long ago. We were actually, at that time, we were exclusively online. We weren't meeting in the church yet, but we studied this book because we wanted to remind everyone that hope was possible, all right? And here we are now, uh, back in the building, at least, you know, not to, not to full capacity, but, but we're making our way. Hope is possible. And so today, that's what we're going to be talking about a little bit more, hope. And we hope in some small things and we hope in some big things. It just kind of depends on the day, depends on the season, depends on the circumstances of life. In fact, we were probably all in this situation not too long ago. Raise your hand if you were hoping for a specific gift for Christmas. Raise your hand if you're hoping for a specific gift for Christmas. No, most of you guys probably weren't because you're adults. You just go buy your gift. But as a kid, I bet you have done this before. You've hoped for a specific gift. You were waiting for it. It finally came. You opened the package and it was socks. That is the story of my childhood. So, but now as an adult, I love getting socks as a gift. I don't know if you guys are with me, but it's great. But here's the deal, we hope. We hope for these small things. We hope for these big things. And sometimes they can really be big things. It's a shared experience, the shared universal experience that we have of desire, of longing, because as long as we lack something, as long as there's something that might be threatened to being taken away, we hope for it. It's a universal shared experience. Let me give you an example. One time when I was a kid, seven or eight years old, went to a friend's house to play. We were hanging out and I found thousands of dollars. No joke. I went to a friend's house. We were hanging out. And you guys know when like your mom comes to get you and she's like, hey, I'm here to pick you up. And you know what that really means is like, okay, I got like 20 minutes because she's going to go talk with his mom. And so she comes, I come upstairs. I, I acknowledge that she's there. We're going to be leaving soon. And I'm like, okay, I got like 20 minutes. Let's go outside. So we go outside and it's everywhere. It's on the yard. It's flying in the wind. And we, I look at my buddy and we're like, what is going on? And so we just start picking it up as fast as we possibly can, obviously, until the whole yard's cleared. And then we jump over his fence and we just keep going throughout the neighborhood until we can find no more. We literally went as much as possible, gathering as much as we possibly could until we could have no more. And then finally we were like, all right, well, let's head back to the house. And I, it was just a march of gladness. I walked back considering all of the things that I was going to buy, all of my hopes and dreams, the the amount of Pokemon cards, the Nerf guns and armor, armory that I was going to build based off of these funds. I finally got home and my mom was there and I come to my mom and I'm like, mom, look at all this money that I found. And she looked at me and she just laughs. She said, honey, that's not money. Those are voided checks. Thanks for picking up the neighborhood though. 
And what's funny is I don't know why I had this idea in my head that these checks were money. Like I, I, maybe it was the movie Blank Check, that Disney movie, you know, where the kid gets a blank check and then all of a sudden it just means he magically has more money. I don't know. I've seen my mom pay with things for money. I don't know what it was, but my hopes were dashed. And we hope sometimes for small things, sometimes for big things. You see, sometimes maybe this last year was just a year of hoping for big things. Like, I hope I get to say goodbye. I hope that our relationship will last one more year. I hope that this pain will end soon. Hope. It's a universal shared experience and it's amplified when we begin to identify that it's being disrupted by pain and suffering and death. And it's not just a universal experience tied to this moment. It is one that transcends all of time. In fact, there's a Greek poet who wrote about Zeus, and he specifically wrote about a story about Zeus and Pandora. You guys know Pandora's box. Many of you probably know this story. If you don't, here's how it goes. Prometheus goes and he steals fire from Zeus, and he goes and he brings it back to humanity so that they would have fire, and Zeus is furious. And so what he does is he commissions a woman to be, to be created and she is gorgeous, amazing, beautiful in every single way. And he gives her, he offers her to Prometheus' brother. Promethe- Prometheus' brother accepts uh, Pandora as his wife and Zeus gives her a box. And he says, do not under any circumstance open this box. And she gets the box and of course he knows she's going to open it. And so she does, and all of a sudden, pain, suffering, toil, hardship, death come raging out of this box. And she goes to shut the box as fast as possible as she begins to realize what has happened, but it's too late. Everything escaped except one thing. Do you know what it was? Hope. You see, hope is a universal, shared longing that we all have. And what I believe First Peter begins to do for us is truly open up what God has offered us because thank God the Zeus is not our God. Our God has not left us wondering if there will ever be relief. Our God has given us resurrection hope. He has overcome sin and death. He has given us a place to belong in his kingdom that will last for eternity. Why? Because we are now not just, just humans inhabiting a world. We are resurrection people awaiting a new one. And so what I want to look at today is simply this, that we would see that a world, that we would long for a world that is not yet here and have hope because it's coming, that we would have hope of the eternal life that God so desires to want to give to us. You see, sometimes we need to be reminded of eternal life because we just need to know that our suffering is going to be redeemed. My guess is that most of us in this room need to be reminded of eternal life because we've become far too pleased with this one. And here's the, here's the deal. First Peter makes it real simple. Resurrection produces life, it produces hope, it produces joy. And so let's jump into verse three. It says this. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. Resurrection produces life. Now, this is probably the most fundamental, easy, obvious point that I will make all morning that resurrection produces life. But it is fundamental to how we actually begin to understand ourselves. 
You see, Peter says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus because his mercy has instigated life. It's instigated resurrection. Our King Jesus is not dead, he's alive. But let me ask you this. What would your life be like if he was still dead? Would you still be a Christian? My guess is no, and honestly, I think that's valid. That's just what Paul says in Corinthians. He says, if Jesus didn't, didn't rise from the dead, then our faith, it's completely meaningless. So I wanna press a little further. What would your life be like if he was still in the tomb? If he was still dead? Would you work harder, care less? Sometimes it's hard to imagine that. I just want you to sit with this question and think of it this way, okay? Think of your family members, think of your friends, think of the people in your life who are non-believers. Does their life look different than yours? You see, sometimes I think we believe that Jesus has died for us, but that he's still in the tomb. And what Peter is trying to help people see is that, no, this is a living God. He's been resurrected from the grave. Jesus isn't there anymore. The tomb is empty. He got up, he lifted himself up, and he walked out of that grave. And because of that, because of this resurrection power, he's able to offer us a new life. You see, in God's great mercy, we were born again. Now, what exactly does Peter mean when he says we're born again? What does that mean? Well, luckily for us, Nicodemus asks Jesus this exact same question in John 3. Listen to what he says. Nicodemus said to him, how can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus answered, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. Is spirit. You see, what Peter is saying here is that our new life, our, our birth has happened, and it's not because we crawled back into the womb. It is because Jesus was resurrected from the dead. He dismantled the powers of sin and death. He has victory over it all, and he shares that eternal life with us. His resurrection life gives birth to ours. And this new life means that we bless God and Father. We worship him, just like Peter writes in verse three. We bless the God and Father of our Lord Jesus, not as distant subjects of a kingdom. No, we do so as brothers and sisters in Christ. We do so as co-heirs with Christ. We do so, we bless this God, not just as Jesus' Father, but as ours. You wanna know why? because we are resurrection people, enjoying all the benefits of our good God and the fact that he's living still now. Resurrection produces life and resurrection produces hope. Peter says, not only have we been born again to a new life, but actually we have been born again to a living hope. And he qualifies what exactly that hope is. Look what he says in verse four. He says, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Now why? Now why would Peter characterize it as a living hope? because it wasn't that long ago for this community and for these people that they experienced dead hope. You see, when they 
saw Jesus, when they began to understand who he was, what his ministry would be, they thought it was going to lead to freedom and liberation, that they would finally not be oppressed by the Roman Empire, that he would set up a new kingdom and establish a new way of life. And then at the the climax of all that he had done, he was crucified, nailed on a cross, died, betrayed by his friends, isolated and alone, and then put in a tomb. And their hope was buried along with him. But what he's saying here is not, is no longer that this hope is dead, but that it's alive because the resurrection means that not only is Jesus' body alive, not only is the promises of God being fulfilled, but more than that, the hope is resurrected with him. But with even more security because it describes it as an inheritance. Again, our resurrection means we have a new life as brothers and sisters, which means Christ's inheritance is ours. It means we are benefactors of what God is passing down. And that inheritance, it's eternal life. Eternal life, imperishable, unfading, undefiled. You know what that means? It means that we will enjoy the best parts of life without cancer, without disease, without depression, without decay, without death. The best parts of life in the exact way God desired it, that our bodies will become everything that God created them for and our relationships with each other and with God will be all that God desired. So where is it? That sounds pretty good. Where is it? Peter says, it's kept in heaven. You know what that means? It's not here yet. Romans 8 says this well, it says this, For we know that the whole creation has been groaning together in the pains of childbirth until now. And not only the creation, but we ourselves who have the first fruits of the Spirit groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for adoption as sons, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. Now hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And sometimes we just forget to hope. We forget to hope for eternal life. And so we are reminded this great need, this great desire we should have, a longing for for eternity. So many of us need to be reminded of eternal life because we need to know that our suffering will be brought to an end. And so many of us need to be reminded of eternal life because we have become far too pleased with this one. You see, we become impatient and pressured into making this life undefiled, unfading, imperishable. And we we are told that we should be living our best life now. Have you heard that? And if, if we aren't, then there's something wrong with us. Our faith is too small. Our decision's too weak. But you know what scripture says? You know what Jesus says? He says, no, 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 no. Your best life is coming. And when King Jesus appears in all of his glory and majesty and with salvation, you will be there too. Peter says, this is the hope that is being guarded for you. It will never become dead. It's being guarded by God himself. And you know what he's doing to guard it? You know what he's using? Your faith. He says, it's your belief. It's your faith in Jesus that's actually guarding this hope so that it never becomes dead hope again. And we know dead hope, don't we? We've experienced failed marriages and parenting and careers and health and purpose. 
And we try to build our lives on these things that we hope will bring us these just momentary pleasures. If I just had that, I'll be happy. If I just had that, I'll be content, right? Man, it's a house of cards. Tumbles fast, easily threatened. What Peter says is we need a hope that is imperishable, unfading, undefiled. And he says that we have found it in Jesus. He says that hope, hope, the hope that we possess is enjoyed right now. It's best enjoyed through our faith. In fact, a scholar, a theologian has said it well. He says that hope is hearing the music of eternity and dancing to it today. And man, it is a victory march. It is a parade that we get to join into in this very moment, enjoying all that God has for us, enjoying the fact that we are resurrection people for when that moment comes, when salvation is revealed in the most fantastic and amazing way possible. Now, some of you might think, well, wait, salvation is not here yet? You know, he's describing it as a future event. What is he talking about there? I thought that my salvation happened when I confessed Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior. Well, the truth is, it did. It did. You were justified in your confession of of Christ as Lord and Savior. But the truth is, you're being sanctified right now. And what salvation is, it is the rescue, it is the saving from the wages of sin and death. But the truth is, we don't materially see this scene yet. It's actually, it's kind of like World War II. You know, in World War II, they finally signed the peace treaty, but it would take months before some people realized that the battle was over. You see, when we confess Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, we are justified, we are being sanctified, but we are waiting for our salvation to be consummated by the appearing of Jesus and the resurrection of our bodies. The peace treaty has been signed, but we still need to wait out the timeline of what Christ is still doing as he's waiting for more and more people to realize that resurrection life is possible with him. And this is what God is calling us to be, calling us to do to enjoy these benefits of salvation now as we are reminded that we're going to achieve salvation because we are resurrection people. Resurrection produces hope. It produces life and it produces joy. Listen to what Peter says in verse six. He says, in this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls." You see, he's saying it's the very thought of resurrection. It's the very thought of eternal life that will begin to bring joy into your life right now. But he also is aware of the fact that this sometimes is difficult. Sometimes our circumstances and the trials that we are walking through seem unbearable. Can I just tell you one that I recently went through? August of 2020, probably one of the worst months, it was probably the worst month of my life one of the worst months for my family. I was gone for about a month from here and it's because the most random thing happened. Out of the blue, we had no idea where it came from or how, how it happened. But my two 
my two-year-old and my four-year-old both got, not COVID, E. coli. Now my two-year-old kicked it really fast, but my four-year-old, he got really sick. You see, that bacteria produces a toxin and that toxin begins destroying your red blood cells. And for two straight days, I had to watch my four-year-old in pain, just pain for two straight days. And when Freeman finally admitted him to the hospital, he was there for a day until his blood pressure started to climb and his kidneys started to fail. And they had to fly him to Kansas City immediately. This is probably like 12 at night, one in the morning. But we couldn't go with him because of COVID. And so we made the longest two and a half hour drive to Kansas City that I've ever had. And for the next two weeks, we just saw him get worse and worse. He was too far behind. The doctors were trying to do what they could, but it just wasn't, it wasn't going well. And I will just never forget after all these surgeries and blood transfusions and all the things that they had to have done to him as this little four-year-old body. And I went and my wife and I had the worst conversation we've ever had asking that question that we didn't want to ask, what if he doesn't make it? And I just remember just, we were just crying, just puddles on the ground. And I will never forget what my wife said to me. She ministered to my soul so much. She said, I just keep trying to remind myself that God loves him more than I do. And that was a challenging season that we began to lose hope in. But can I tell you, I prayed more and more throughout that time than I ever have in my entire life. We went back when the surgery was over, we went back to see him to see if it was successful. They were putting a new dialysis catheter in uh, to hopefully it would stop bleeding. He was having trouble clotting. In fact, one night the nurses literally had to have, put their, apply pressure on his wound the entire night because it just wouldn't stop bleeding until he could have surgery the next day. We finally see him and it didn't work. He was sent to ICU and we just were on our knees. <laughs> And I kept repeating to myself, God loves him more than I do. God loves him more than I do. God loves him more than I do. And I came to peace. Whatever God was going to do, I came to peace with whatever his decision would be because I finally realized that our faith was growing. We were growing in a dependence upon God. God was using this trial, using the circumstance to bring us further into the idea of resurrection. You see, as Christians, we are not just identified by our behavior in this life. We are identified with the hope we have in Christ, with the fact that there is a resurrection coming and every single day is a reminder that we aren't home yet. And too often times we allow our circumstances and the trials in our life to define our joy, to define our reality. Do you know why? Because we forget the heart of God. He's the God of the living, not the dead. I wanna show you this picture. This is a group of people who stood outside my house to pray for my son one night. I know most of them, some of them I don't, some of them are neighbors. But one of the best parts about this picture is that on the inside of my house, watching from a window, was a family member of mine watching my other son, seeing that these people were gathering around, uh, around us to, to help us see and to help God be in the midst of our present situation. 
You see, she was getting a front row seat to resurrection people. And it became so easy to see it as people sent us money for food and bills and activities to keep us entertained. And they, they sent us encouraging letters to keep our spirits up because we are resurrection people. We are resurrection people. And regardless of what this life may give us, we are constantly reminded that this is not the way God intended it. But when resurrection people gather, man, heaven starts breaking in. Little parts of heaven start establishing themselves. And we begin to flee those things that we tried to find our joy in. You see, too many of us fail to find joy because we keep attempting to do it in the perishable. C.S. Lewis says it way better than I can. He says this, it would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us, like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. You see, so long as we attempt to satisfy ourselves with this life, we'll never develop a longing for the next. And what's worse is we will end up chasing pleasures that will never fulfill us when God is standing there with an offer of perfection. And we are resurrection people, living for a resurrecting God. And you know what he says? He says, if you live desiring your future home more than the pleasures of your current one, you will find joy and you will find faith. He actually says that if you make it through this life with all the challenges that it has, your faith will be responded to by God with praise and honor. He says that when Jesus appears, he will see all that you've accomplished and he will lavish you with his love. He will approach you and all the things that you joined in the work of God in despite of the cost to yourself. And he will say, well done, good and faithful servant. This is what he's saying at the end of this passage. Listen that we can begin to enjoy its benefits. In verse eight, though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Do you hear what he's saying? Even though you don't see him, you love him. Even though you can't see him, you believe in him, you trust him. And because of that, the best parts of heaven are breaking into earth now. Why? Because we are resurrection people and resurrection produces life. It produces hope. It produces joy. You see, as the apostle Paul was ending the near of his life, the end of his life, he wrote a letter, uh, 2 Timothy. It's the last letter that the apostle Paul wrote. And he wrote it to a guy he had been mentoring that he would kind of take charge of continuing to do the work and the ministry that God had given Paul. And in the last chapter of this book, when Paul knows he is near his death, he writes this to Timothy. I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Now, there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but also to all who have longed for his appearing. Church, we are resurrection people. 
So no matter what 2020 was, no matter what 2021 will be, live as resurrection people today. You will find life. You will find hope. And you will find joy. And you will find Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we are so thankful for your goodness and your kindness and your grace. And we pray that today we would find ways to join you in your work. We pray that we would find ways to enjoy the community that you've surrounded us with. And we pray that we would long for you, that we would long for eternity, for your coming. Father, we're thankful that because of your resurrection, we'll have one too. And we're thankful for the hope that you've given us that it's unshakable, unmovable. Lord, we wait. It's in your son's name, Jesus, that we pray through the power of your spirit. Amen. Thanks again for checking out this podcast. We hope this teaching helped you to discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. For more resources or to learn about Christ Church in general, visit us online at cco.church.